This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 395. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Mr. Matthew Marister. What's up, man? Producer in chief, (laughs) master extraordinaire, podcast. It's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. You're the man. (laughs) I don't know about that, but glad to be here with you guys and a bunch of people already in the topic, in the chat, so... Absolutely. We got a lot of live viewers here today. So thanks for being a part of this show. And for those of you listening to the audio feed only, well, hopefully it's just as good for you as well. So uh, today's episode is made possible and brought to you by Ammo Supply Warehouse. Ammo Supply Warehouse are some of the best dudes out there in the industry, shipping ammo all across the country. Uh, we love uh, uh, Frank and Becker over there at Ammo Supply Warehouse. Uh, check them out, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com for the lowest prices and ultra-fast shipping on ammo. Yeah, I've done my research, and for the bulk, like just basic target-grade stuff, you know, they, they've got Fioki, they've got uh, SNB, they've got uh, Arms Corps, uh, MagTech, just for that basic bulk stuff for practice or whatever, it's pretty hard to beat the prices. I've looked. And Guardian Nation members save an extra 5% as well. So that is super cool. Again, ammo supply warehouse.com. Check them out. I hope that's where you'll place your next bulk buy for ammo. You can also buy just individual boxes too. Just doesn't make as much sense. Yeah. Buying online, right? Yeah. So I'll tell you, it's a pretty awesome deal. I think uh, typically you can find a thousand rounds of nine millimeter for like 160, 170 bucks on Ammo Supply Warehouse. Uh, that's really hard to beat. All right. So just go buy it. All right. It's not that much for what you're getting in return. Uh, also, today's episode is sponsored by Fighting From Cover. This video training course we put together last year, super cool course uh, done together. We've got John Korea on there from Active Self-Protection. We've got uh, Tony Lambrea from Ultimate Training Munitions. We did some really uh, kind of exciting, I think, force-on-force scenarios in that training. And you're going to learn a ton about the proper use of cover and plus get some ideas too for drills you can practice as well so check out the fighting from cover course at concealedcarry.com forward slash ffc that's the acronym for fighting from cover concealedcarry.com forward slash ffc today's episode we're talking about what are we talking about we're talking about manual safeties on Mm -hmm. carry guns to safety or not to safety that is the question. This is a semi-controversial topic a lot of times online, Matthew. Uh, you'll see people on both sides that are pretty strong advocates for either using a manual safety or having one on your gun or not having or using a safe, a manual safety on your gun. And when we say manual safety, one that we have to manually and actively, sometimes described as an active safety where you've got to, it requires action on your part to manipulate that safety either on or off so you can either fire the gun or put it back on safe whereas a passive safety is one that basically operates as a normal part you know kind of an automatic safety feature built into a gun like virtually all uh, modern manufactured semi-automatic guns have these days even Mm -hmm. our revolvers actually if you think about it have most of them these days have passive safeties in them with that you know transfer bar safety that only remains in place as long as that trigger is is pressed and held to the rear on a on a revolver until that hammer fall falls it's called a transfer bar safety because it transfers that hammer energy through to the firing pin but let's make make one thing clear matthew i think i think pretty much Everybody can agree with this, so I want to get it out of the way, and then it kind of clears the roadmap, if you will, to be able to talk about all the other things with with regards to manual safeties. And that is, if you are carrying a particularly like a 1911, 
right? Chambered, hammer back. Well, basically, by the way, if, you, if you're carrying a 1911 or 1911-style gun, so this could include things like your P238s, P938s, the uh, Springfield Armory version of those, the 911. Uh, uh, if you're carrying a 1911-style or designed pistol, then and you are carrying chambered, then I think it should be hammer back because to chamber around and then lower the hammer is not a risk I'm willing to take on a regular basis. Uh, so round chambered in 1911, hammer back, that manual safety should be on. Yeah. I mean, right? I, I, Until I, you are on target and getting ready to shoot. Right, right. I mean, and, and that's the way I think it's designed to be carried, uh, truthfully, right? I mean, if, we, if you're going to carry it ready to go, the hammer's got to be back, and it makes sense to have a safety, uh, safety on there, the manual safety. Right. Right. Of yeah, course, the 1911 course. also has a grip safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, most 1911 style designs do. Uh, your your micro compact versions of that platform typically do not. But you know, on our full size uh, 1911s, they they quite often have that grip safety as well. Um, so, all right, we got that out of the way. That if you're using a 1911 carrying chambered, you should be also carrying with with the safety on uh, because. Yeah, that, that's the best practice. I mean, and, and and there's very little else. I mean, okay, the grip safety by itself on a 1911 should be adequate to keep that gun from functioning. But you know, you've got it. You got a single action gun with a light trigger. Uh, I think it's it's good idea to have that safety on. And I don't think there's any reputable instructor or anybody in the industry that would suggest otherwise. So, all right, that's out of the way. Now, real quick, I just, I did want to acknowledge, and I meant to actually say something at the beginning of the episode, but uh, we've got Brett uh, on Facebook. He says, greetings from middle Tennessee. And of course, uh, just last night, early, early this morning, uh, there was some really bad tornadoes that hit Tennessee. So I want to recognize that fact and send everybody our love and our prayers uh, uh, out there to Tennessee. Uh, I've actually got several friends uh, that live out in that region. Uh, in fact, Rich Brown, who was just on the podcast last week, is in Tennessee, uh, lives there, has, has a little farm there. And uh, to my knowledge, I, I saw that he had said that he was safe, that he was good to go. Uh, we got some other good friends out there that have all reported back so far, but some of their friends and neighbors uh, including one of my good friends, he has coworkers that completely lost their homes. So, and of course, there's been uh, many uh, so far reported dead. Last I saw, about 19 or 20 or so, and still some people missing. So, I wanted to just throw that out there, and I, I forgot to mention that at the beginning of the episode. So, uh, uh, our prayers go out to those of you, and particularly our listeners and viewers in Tennessee. So, I hope you're doing okay, Brett. Um, Anyway, all right. So let's continue on, Matthew. Yeah. Where do we take it from here? Yeah. So let's. I, I think maybe it's start. We should start with saying. Um, well, I, I would say uh, because there's people that are in the comments already, and there's people that are listening that have safeties on their everyday carry gun, and that people that don't. And let's. I think we should narrow it down to your everyday carry gun. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so. Why do you, my question would be, why do you choose to have one or why do you choose not to? If you're not really sure, um, then that's where you need to start. Don't worry about, should I have a safety on my gun? I think that you, you first have to ask yourself, why am I choosing one versus the other? And then you can start making logical choices. You already threw out one. If you have a single action semi-automatic, like a 1911, yeah, you, you, you need a you, you need an external safety, right? Manual external safety. Um, but what about, you know, um, striker fire gun that you can buy it with an external safety and without? Why do you choose to have one on your gun or not? And in, in my, I'll say my preference and the reason why I choose not to have a manual external safety is for several reasons, but probably the main uh, reason is because it, it just simplifies the, the process of drawing, getting, uh, getting shots on target. And that's, you know, and the argument is sure I could train that taking that safety off, uh, as part of my draw process. And that's what you should be doing if you have one. But, um, for me, uh, I choose to simplify it as much as I possibly can. 
And I, yeah. I, I guess you can give your, you know, your, your reasoning behind what you choose to do or, or not. Yeah. Um, well, so, and we're already seeing, you know, some pretty passionate comments in the comments on uh, the, the live viewer uh, feed here on YouTube and Facebook. And, and again, I kind of alluded to that, that, you know, this brings out uh, a lot of, a lot of opinions on the matter as a general rule uh, on a carry gun on a, on a defensive gun or a duty gun. I prefer having as few roadblocks to me putting that gun into the fight and using it uh, as possible. I like to, I want to have, you know, ideally like in an ideal world, I have a gun or I carry a gun that I draw, you know, I grip, comes out of the holster, it goes to the target, the finger goes on the trigger, and then it goes bang, right? Uh, that's that's the ideal, absolutely, I think, uh, in terms of efficiency, in terms of effectiveness, in terms of simplicity, and I do believe in the KISS principle very much. So uh, the, 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 sim- the more simple things are for us when crap is hitting the fan, uh, typically the better, particularly with shooters or concealed carriers or just, you know, defensive minded folks that are not as well-trained or maybe as well-practiced, then I definitely think simplicity is key. Uh, so, because if you have a manual safety, then it should absolutely be practiced Mm -hmm. to a, to a subconscious level. Right. So, uh, and, and the reality is there are, you know, many people out there carrying guns to you to rely upon for self-defense that are not putting in the time and the practice necessary to make those, some of those things be automatics, you know, subconscious. So again, I come back to, as a general rule, I think a choosing a platform that is, that has adequate passive safeties built into it to where it's safe to carry, safe to carry chambered and all that. Uh, but it's simple to just grab and use that. That's ideal. Um, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to add in there. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and I was going to take, you know, kind of the devil's advocate uh, side and say, you know, there, there are people that will say, well, I want the safety because, you know, I want that extra layer of protection just in case, right? And um, yeah, and, and so you know, if if that's kind of where you're going, and that's why you've chosen to have uh, a safety on your gun, right? It, it sort of dovetails into the training, right? Because sure, uh, having one extra layer of, of, of safety is not a bad thing. Um, it does overcomplicate the process, but you can sort of mitigate those. I just need one extra layer of safety. If you're training correct, uh, you know, technique where you're not relying on the safety to keep your gun safe or to keep you safe, you're relying on your ability to skillfully and safely handle the firearm. So I think there's kind of like a, I don't know if it's a learning curve or whatever, but um, where you're, you know, you're kind of relying on a safety to keep you safe as, you know, you're not really sure of your skill set. But as you start to train a little bit more, you know, hey, my my finger's not going on the trigger early. Uh, I trust the internal safeties of my gun. I've carried it long enough. I know, you know, it's I know how to check it for malfunctions and things like that and function checks. So I think as you what you were talking about, getting training, proper training and comfortability with the firearm, um, then you you're you're less likely to rely on those extra one extra little layer of safety. Right. Uh, Yes, I I don't disagree with with a lot of what you said there. So um, I do want to come Back to one other thing. There was actually a comment from our friend Chad uh, at Caltech. He was watching. I don't know if he's still on or not, but uh, he said grip safeties are a terrible idea. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to come back to that some more here in a little bit. But I did want to point out in the case of the 1911, if the 1911 grip safety is the only grip safety that I would at this current time uh, consider. Uh, relying upon 
because of the way that grip safety is built, designed, and and it's integrated into it's part of the the beaver tail on the gun, right? It's really really difficult. I mean, the original, uh, you know, the, the original 1911 design. I think there was some some times where it was a little more challenging to make sure you got a good enough grip to fully depress that grip safety all the time. But almost all modern 1911s with the, they had that little bump out, that little extended uh, grip safety. And then again, as it's kind of, as it pivots, that, that pivot pin is in the beaver tail region. And as you put your hand up into that beaver tail, it's really hard to not disengage uh the, the, the grip safety on the 1911. In fact, I, I it's not I'm not it's not that I'm the most proficient 1911 shooter. Uh, I do have one and I do enjoy shooting it, but I've never I I and I've never seen students either that have had a big issue with engaging that grip safety on 1911. Um, oh heck, let's get into it right now. <laughs> grip safety is on XDs because that's the other grip safety that is pretty common and well known and popular. Um, <clears throat> To, and I think I think this is what what Chad was getting at, especially. Uh, so you know, and not to call names, you know, uh, specific names of companies out and stuff, but but I mean that is the reality that we have uh, 1911s, and then we've basically got Springfield Armory XD style pistols that have that grip safety on them as well. And that, uh, by that, it's you know not the same type as the 1911, but it's, it's similar in that, you know, it's located in the same location. The idea is the same. The principle is the same that as you grip the gun, you depress that grip safety and that essentially unlocks the trigger mechanism as a concept. It's not a bad idea, right? Because it's, it's similar in nature to a trigger safety, you know, the little trigger shoe safety that everybody's pretty much familiar with on your striker fired guns, including on the XDs, uh, Glocks, uh, Smith and Wesson, M and P's, although they're more of a hinge action, uh, but it's the same concept. Um, so we've got, you know, everybody's familiar with those, those trigger safeties, the grip safety is similar, right? In that as part of your natural, gripping and firing of the gun you it, it is an active safety still uh, but you don't have to think about deactivating right it just happens as part of gripping and then pressing the trigger so as a concept it's a it's a good concept the problem is is that in practice it can be problematic mm-hmm. so a lot of times you'll see people uh, criticize the grip safeties on xds uh, and they'll point out all kinds of things that, well, it's another part that can fail or there's, there, it's possible to get some stuff stuck in that mechanism and disen- you know, enforce that grip safety uh, to be stuck and, and unable to disengage. Um, my concern is actually far simpler than that. My, and, and I actually consider this an inherent design flaw, <clears throat> if you will, of the whole XD system. And it's why I, I've completely moved away from those guns as a, as a defensive carry gun. And this applies to, I'm talking, when we talk about these XDs, we're talking about that whole line. If it, you know, the XDSs, the XDMs, XD Mod 2s, uh, any of those that have that grip safety pretty much all suffer from the same potential failure. And that potential failure is failing to get the web of your hand fully engaged on that grip safety, getting it fully disengaged uh, as far as turning that safety off and then be able to fire the gun. Matthew, have you ever taught a class where a student failed to disengage that safety and then they're sitting there trying to press the trigger and nothing's happening? I, I, I mean, all the time. It, no, I'm not saying every single student that has an XD with a, you know, this happens to, but it happens far more than than what you would even think, um, and, and it's not just people with smaller hands. It's not just inexperienced shooters. It's it's of all levels, of all uh, size hands, and and everything. So yep. um, it it is one of those things that you don't really think about, and you it doesn't happen to you, and you think, well, it's not going to happen to me until it does, and then you're like, oh, why isn't my gun firing? And that's that's normally where I go to like, look, your gun's fine. Like fire it again. And they 
get a good grip, they squeeze the trigger, it fires. What happened? Well, it, your, your hand, I could tell your hand wasn't really where it needs to be. So uh, it happens. Yep. I, I've seen it happen multiple times. Uh, Chad Enos here co- comments, most competitive shooters pin their grip safeties for a reason. And I, yes, this is even true in the case of uh, a competitive shooter shooting 1911 or 2011 style platforms. In fact, a lot of the 2011s that are even built these days don't even have, you know, that they're, they're built with basically an absent grip safety uh, because it is pretty redundant when you consider the fact that you still have that manual safety that's got to be clicked on and off. Um, but yeah, but again, we're, we're a little more focused on the defensive carry guns on this episode here today. And a very popular choice are some of these XD pistols with those grip safeties. And I've seen it again and again. In fact, myself, uh, and I, I've actually, I've got an, I've got an XDM nine that I've used as a competitive gun. Uh, it's actually my first, uh, competition gun that I shot like three gun with. And as a competition gun, it was a great gun. It still is. I've since kind of handed it off to my son that when he competes, he shoots that XDM nine. And I didn't think I had an issue with that grip safety until, until I finally did. And it happened from obtaining a less than ideal grip, which sometimes happens. And I'll tell you in a fight, in a tussle, you know, in a, a grappling situation on the ground or even on your feet where there's that chance of things getting fouled because you're operating in very tight, confined spaces or just under stress or whatever it is. If you haven't experienced a grip safety failure on that platform yet, it's not a question of if, it's most likely a question of when. Mm-hmm. So that's my big, big, big gripe and concern with that design uh and so i do not i have a great deal of hesitancy in record i i I don't recommend that that gun for a defensive gun i know that's probably i'm gonna catch some hate over that if that's what you choose that's like you do you i i couldn't care less um you know everybody's got to choose for themselves but i i would be remiss if i didn't come out fairly strongly and just say from a that grip safety standpoint, can't recommend it. So some people will say, well, why not pin it or something? Why not, you know, uh, make it so that's not an issue? And I think that platform is fine to operate uh, without that grip safety in place. But I'd rather just carry a gun that doesn't have it to begin with. Right. And, so. and, and let's say that you do have one. Let's say you really like your XD. You And for some reason, you know, or for reasons that you've already established in your mind that you like having grip safety, it gives you peace of mind. You have that. Um, then just don't, my, my recommendation would be don't discount it as, well, it's never happened to me. So, you know, that, that must be somebody else's problem. Understand that it's a potential uh, failure point. And then when you train, make sure that you, you you are doing everything you can to mitigate those things and and you recognize it as as something that you need to sort of focus on um, I would say that would be the best solution if you you know are, are, are determined to carry that gun and you like it um, you just have to be aware you, you really do um, yep. and, yep. and you kind of mentioned about pinning the hammer or pinning the safety or trying to dis- disable it um, I you know, there's something I wanted to mention is is also um, there are people that have s- manual external safeties on their guns and they leave them off, right? Because it's not yep. a, maybe they're they're carrying a gun that's not a, a you know a, a 1911 style or single action, and they say, well, I'll just leave it off, um, you know. And and he, here's here's my two cents on that. Um, if you have a gun with a manual external safety, you should use it. Because if for whatever reason you leave that manual safety off and you think it is off um, and you go to use it and it happens to be on, um, you're not going to be trained. Your draw stroke will not have training in it that as I draw my gun, the safety comes off. I sweep the safety off. Um, Similarly, you could potentially believe the safety is on. And if you're of the mindset of, oh, that's one more safety feature and I have my safety on and I'm good to go and, and, and think that the safety is on and not 
be safe with the firearm, you could potentially do something even worse than you would if you had a gun without a safety. So uh, one of those things of if you have a gun with a safety and you don't want a gun with a safety, get a different gun. Don't just keep it off. That's my opinion. You may think yeah. differently, but well, I think that's best. I think that's ideal. Um, all right. Let's talk about another one because somebody actually here commented about it. Uh, the SCD. This is the striker control device, uh, which is designed for Glocks. And you replace the back plate on your Glock with this SCD device, sometimes sometimes referred to as the gadget. Mm. Um, and uh, it's it's actually a really simple and clever device for a safety device. And I'll say this much. It's one that I'm 100% completely okay with. Uh, one, because it's been significantly tested and validated by uh, people that I trust. Uh, and it is completely passive w- when it's not being used. It just meaning it's just, it, it functions just like a normal backplate on a Glock. But the way it works is uh, you can place your thumb on the back of it and push inward. And what it does is actually forces the uh, striker forward. It keeps it in place to where it can't retract. I think if you're carrying appendix with a Glock, uh, it's not a bad idea to consider at least using a striker control device, uh, the gadget. It's not a bad idea uh, in the appendix position. So, so let's actually let's let's kind of segue a little bit, Matthew, and talk about this. Um, so. One, my my opinion, actually, let let me back up a little bit and let me be really clear about something. My opinion on manual safeties has actually changed a fair amount in the last year or two. So I used to be very much of the opinion that manual safety on a gun, I just didn't care for whatsoever. I thought it was dumb. I was like some people, you know, that I see commenting from time to time that, why would you have a manual safety? That's stupid. Like, why would you choose the manual safety P365 over the non-manual safety model? Now, I don't own a manual safety P365 or XL model or anything like that, uh, but I will say that it's mildly tempting to consider having uh, from the standpoint of I carry pretty much solely appendix position these days. So, uh, and I'll say this much too. The concern is that if you have a manual safety on a gun, that you might fail or forget to disengage it in a fight And then you'll go to use your gun and your trigger won't function. And you'll then have to fumble and hit the safety. And then you can finally use your gun. That's pretty much, I think, the argument why people say manual safeties are dumb. I will say, though, uh, based on watching people run manual safeties and do so very reliably and consistently at a high level, I think if you practice with it, it can become subconscious to a point where it just happens. And if that's the level of training uh, or or level performance where you are at, then I have zero problem with a manual safety. Mm -hmm. I also have full and complete confidence that if I chose to carry a gun with a manual safety, that I could do so and train with it well enough to where the deactivation of that safety could happen automatically. It's not really all that different than me running my AR-15. And anybody that's run a carbine for any amount of or length of time knows that you get to where the switching on and off of that safety happens completely automatically. Mm-hmm. You know, you come up on target, safety off, pop, 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 pop. And then you come off target or you're done shooting, whatever, safety flicks back on. I flip my safety back on on my AR-15 when I'm transitioning over over to my uh, support side uh, shoulder. I flip my safety on a lot of times when I'm doing reloads, and I don't think about it because it's because it, it's it's part of that firing process that I know with my AR when I'm going to fire, my safety comes off, mm-hmm. and I know when I'm done firing, my safety goes on, and I don't think about it. So. I think that's I'm, I'm playing a little bit, you know, kind of devil's advocate here, presenting a different side here that, you know, a lot of times folks will will really criticize manual safeties. And I've been there and I've done that in the past. But yet 
we don't seem to criticize them so much when we're talking about ARs and similar platforms. And we don't seem to have the same argument. Well, what if you forget to take your safety off when you're running your carbine? Mm -hmm. Right? So the point is, is if you train with that to, to where that becomes part of that subconscious shooting process, I know when I'm presenting my, my gun, my pistol to my target, that the safety goes off and it just happens because it's part of that process. Uh, now, if you have a problem with not consistently deactivating a manual safety on a pistol, then that means you have more work to do. Or it means that maybe there's a design issue with that safety to where your thumb, your hand, the way it's shaped, the way your hand operates, the way your hand mates with the gun. Maybe it's a poor fit for that particular gun and that safety. Maybe And a lot, like in the case of 1911, you have all kinds of options. So you can swap that safety with a more extended one with a little bit different profile, you know, that sort of thing. You may not have, a, you may not always have that option though with, with other uh, platforms. So my point is, is uh, my, my opinion on this has changed to where, Again, I, I said it in the beginning, as a rule, I prefer running a gun that I just grab and, and point and shoot, uh, that I'm not having to be concerned with safeties in the case of my defensive handguns. But I also run a carbine pretty well, too, and it has a manual safety. Hmm. Okay. So I, th I just think it proves the point that one can achieve a, a level of, of pr proficiency and, and performance to where that manual safety should not be a hindrance whatsoever. What do you, what do you say? You know, what do you think about that, Matthew? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's all valid, right? Um, I, I, you know, there are different platforms. And so maybe the way, you know, the way you operate them may be a little bit differently, but, but I totally agree with you, right? Um, it's in, in the comments will be, you know, our listeners know this stuff. They're saying, you know, it's in the training. It's, it's how you train. Right. And so we're talking about, um, you know, what if I have a manual safety should, and I don't want it, should I just train to, to swipe it off? You know, I, I think if you have a manual safety on your gun, you should use it. If you don't want a manual safety on your gun, um, Sure, you could take off the safety, leave it off, and train to sweep, sweep, sweep the safety off, right? But that would be not as ideal as just getting a gun without a manual external safety because there's always a you're just increasing the odds of something potentially getting in the mix and that being on when you think it's off or off when you think it's on, vice versa, and yep. all that. Um, yep. And, and I will also, while we're talking about having manual safeties on your guns, um, you know, and, and this I'll, I'll have the listeners, if you're listening, I would say, ask yourself this question. When you go to train, are you putting your gun on safe each time in between each string of fire? If you have a double action, single action gun, are you, you know, decocking it and going back into double action mode? What? Because, you know, truthfully, I think a lot of people leave that safety off when they're training or they don't practice with it on um, the majority of the time or, or, or some of the time. And because they want to be quicker, they, they figure out oh, it's just kind of a hassle. But that is the part that you start building these negative uh, habits in your process. And I think that's the danger of it is which habit are you going to revert to? The one that you do 50% of the time or the one you do the other 50% of the time. So it's got to be one or the other, I think. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I put up on the screen here, a comment from Chad saying, you know, if you have an external safety, use it, train to disengage it on your draw. Uh, you know, just thinking I'm going to keep it off, you know, just, well, I've got the safety, but I don't really want to use it. So I'll just leave it in the off position. It's a bad idea because Chad's right here. They can be bumped on. Uh, and, and so you don't want to put yourself in a position where you've trained yourself to think, Mike, you know, I don't have to use my safety. It's off all the time. But then that one time you go to use the gun and it somehow got bumped safety on. And now, you you know, you don't you don't have that level of training to even probably recognize and, you know, at first and realize what's going on here. And it'll take you a minute to, to make that that realization uh, and, and then correct the problem. Um, so I completely agree with that. And uh, I'll, I'll say one other thing, too, that if your gun is designed to have a manual safety uh, that, you know, where you carry the gun chambered safety on, I think it's a good idea to at least consider seeing if you can find a holster for it where the holster, particularly like a Kydex holster or a polymer holster, where that holster is designed 
to only allow that gun to be holstered with the safety on. And they're out there, okay? Especially on the 1911 side of things. That's where I see them the most. But um, I've seen them for other platforms as well. And so what that does is it forces uh, uh, the safety to be on at all times when the gun's in the holster. And it doesn't allow that safety to get bumped off while it's in the holster. And if you forget to engage the safety when you're reholstering, this a lot of times those holsters can be designed to where the holster itself engages the safety for you if you have forgotten for any reason. Uh, now, let's talk real quick about guns like the Beretta 92 or, or M9 Beretta, because uh, there's a couple of folks, you know, talking about how they have a Beretta and stuff. And uh, somebody here mentioned that they've got a Beretta, uh, but they've converted. Oh, right here on uh, YouTube two kid, two gun kitty, the catnip outlaw <laughs> says uh, no safety for them. Uh, switch Beretta to decocker only. I think if you're carrying a Beretta platform like that, uh, this would be true in the case also the PX4 Storm pistols. They function similarly. Uh, there, there's two different decocker slash safety designs on those guns. Uh, the, the traditional one is where you sweep those down, and that's the safety on position, and it'll decock the pistol at the same time. And then you have to flick it back up to take safety off and be able to use the gun, you know, and of course you're starting in a double action uh, mode. Um, the other style of safety on those Berettas is a decocker only. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you flip that down and it's got a spr it's spring loaded. So when you decock it, that lever snaps back up into the off position. Uh, and basically it's a Beretta without a safety. Uh, if I was carrying a a Beretta, that's that's a, that's the decocker that I would have. Uh, would be the decock only feature and not the safety model. So real quick on on double action, single action pistols, Matthew, and you, you touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, I, I feel like a DASA gun is in and of itself sort of it's sort of like a built in safety that that long double action trigger. Uh, requires a lot more deliberation uh, as part of pressing that to the rear. You got a lot more travel and a lot more weight behind that trigger. And so that double action first shot is sort of a form of its own safety. Agree or disagree? Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, think of a, a revolver. You don't have, you know, safeties on revolvers because one of the reasons why they have a pretty heavy trigger pull, right? So no one really thinks about that, but yeah, you know, if you had a semi-automatic with a 15-pound trigger and you didn't have a safety, some I'm sure somebody'd be like, "Oh, I'd never carry that because you know I need a manual external safety." Well, would you carry a revolver? You know, probably, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, you, you go back to like the 50s. There were some cops and and patrol uh, uh, cops that carried revolvers, even double action ones, in holsters where the trigger was completely exposed. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, crazy, <laughs> right? right? Like, I'm not saying I would do that, you know, these days, especially, but the point is at one time, like that was considered a, okay. That, mm -hmm. Hey, you've got that nasty long double action trigger. You don't even need that trigger guard covered. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So again, I, for the record, I would not recommend that uh, these days. There's, there's no excuse. There's no reason to not have the trigger covered, even in the case with a heavy double action trigger, because it can still be snagged and pulled. Uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure. really, you know, 10, 12, 14 pounds is really nothing when you think about it. You could sit down and have some, you know, have your seatbelt, uh, whatever in your vehicle somehow wedge itself up into the, up in the trigger area and, and fire it. All right. Mm -hmm. You know, cause you're, you weigh more than 14 pounds for sure. Um, all right. So on, on the DASA gun. So I, you know, I, there's been a little bit of a movement, back to a DASA gun platform. Uh, I think a lot of that is led by folks that are carrying appendix carry mm -hmm. um, because it is a little bit added um, safety. If I mean, it is to an extent it, it's some, I think it's a lot of, it's more of a reassurance uh, allows you to control your gun a little bit more too. And so what do I mean? What I mean by that? We, we touched on the striker control device that's available for Glocks where you can mainly press your thumb on the back of the slide and uh, 
make it so that the trigger cannot be pressed on that Glock as you're reholstering. That's why that exists. That's the only time that safety is used or needs to be used. Uh, well, the, the practice has been around for a long time that in the case of hammer fired guns, uh, you know, like a DASA gun, you'd place your thumb on the back of that hammer as you're reholstering because then you are in control of that. And even if you made a mistake, even if you failed to remove your trigger finger, even if you had something get in the way of the holster or something from your clothing snag on the trigger as you're reholstering, you're in control of that hammer, your thumbs on it, it's holding it in place. And so that's a big reason why I think some folks have kind of started, you know, you see uh, guys like Spencer Keepers, you see, I know Chris Baker over at Lucky Gunner has talked about this thing a number of times. Uh, and there are others that have moved to, you know, they're carrying appendix carry full time and carrying a DASA gun. I've given that some thought myself uh, and toyed with it a little bit. And so, in fact, I, you might see me carrying in the next year. I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting on uh, being able to get set up with the, the new trigger from Gray Guns for the SB 2022. That uh, And I might go, I might consider carrying my SB 2022. It's a nice little compact size. It's, you know, very similar to a P320 compact in, in size. And it, that's very carry it, carryable for me, uh, very concealable for me. And it's a DASA gun, you know, to where, again, I can control that hammer uh, and I have a little bit more confidence on reholstering. I mean, I, to be fair, I, I carry every day right now my P365XL, no manual safety, no trigger safety on that thing even. You know, you just press the trigger to the rear and that thing goes bang. Uh, but I'm really careful on the reholstering. And I think that you can certainly mitigate and minimize the risk of carrying and reholstering in that appendix position by following good practices. But it is a, a nice reassurance when, whether it's a heavy double action trigger, whether it's being able to control the hammer, whether it's a manual safety, having that additional reassurance reholstering into that appendix position is not a bad thing. So I guess my point is I won't judge somebody if they choose to carry a gun with a manual safety, especially if they're carrying appendix, but even if they're not, even if they're just in a IWB at four o'clock, I won't judge because having that additional layer of safety, but really it's more just assurance for me psychologically. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Um, and as long as one is well-trained with it and it deactivates every time without fail, I don't see a problem with it. It's not, it's not my jam, but I'm cool with it, okay? I'm not going to judge people. Now, I, I will say this much. I have spent some time, even though I'm not carrying a, a manual safety gun all the time, well, really ever these days, uh, I have spent some time in my grip development as far as how I grip my gun and the process for me grabbing my gun and gripping it and the way my thumb comes down as kind of the final, you know, once everything's locked in place, this, this right-hand thumb comes down. It's basically designed in such a way, number one, it keeps my thumb out of the way until my grip is complete. And then it just sort of rests on the base of my hand. But number two, if I ever was or carrying or went back for whatever reason to a gun with a manual safety, that thumb is trained to deactivate that every single time. And I don't even have a manual safety gun right now. So that's, I, and there's been some people that have talked about that and kind of uh, commented here in the live comments, uh, you know, something along to that effect of what I'm saying right here. I think that's absolutely a, a worthwhile thing. I think you don't have to if you don't want to, but the way I grip my gun, the way I build that grip, the way I finalize that grip and set everything in place, it's basically made it so that my hands, my grip is not, it's not built around any one particular platform. My grip will work with almost any platform. It's very, what I call plat platform averse, meaning is non-specific to a platform. And and I've, I've that's been a deliberate uh, evolution for me in my grip work is making it non-specific to a platform, but yeah. able to work with anything. 
And that's a conversation I was kind of in the comments having with Ben right. um, about that very thing. And, and it, it is, and, and you practice, you shoot a, a lot, right? And so the average person or, you know, and, and I'm not saying that the average person doesn't, it can't learn to do this. I'm just saying the average person is probably not going to put in enough time to be able to manipulate uh, a safety if they predominantly carry, let's say, a Glock without a safety, and then they want to carry a Beretta 92, and they go to draw it, and they probably don't have that built in, right? Certainly, they could, um, but at least for me, and and I have smaller hands, um, it doesn't, it, you know, we're talking about, in general, guns with an external, you know, thumb uh, safety, right? But I'll tell you, there are guns that are very easy for me to sweep, you know, sweep off the safety, like 1911, like a nice 1911. It almost naturally just wants to come off. Right. But yeah. I've, I've some, um, I'm trying to think of like, um, a CZ, some CZs, like I, I can't really get the, the, the safety off. It's just a weird shape or it's a, um, maybe on some of the smaller SIG, um, single action, they're, they're just not, all in the same spot and they're not all the same. Some of them take a lot more pressure to sweep off and some are weird shapes and things. So um, I think that that's one of those things where if you carry multiple guns or you, you really have to be specific in your training to those specific things. And I think to get back to like what Ben was saying is, you know, if you carry across uh, a, a few different guns, you can carry Glocks and all different sh- you know sizes, pretty much depending on if you carry a bigger gun in the sun in the winter time or whatnot. And they're all relatively the same, right? The the point of aim is is relatively the same. The grip, the, all the functions, and I I think it's one of those things like we kind of talk about whenever you complicate something. There's always you're just adding a little bit layer of complexity to something, and so. Like I said, like in the beginning, think about why you either carry one or the other. Be deliberate with what you do. And, you know, if you choose to go around, understand that there are some layers that you're adding to the problem. And it it doesn't mean that you can't solve the problem. It's just it's adding a couple layers. And for somebody as dumb and simple minded as I am, (laughs) I like to strip away all that stuff. And so, um, you know, and so you make your choice. And I I totally agree with you. If you want to carry a gun with the safety, you know, go at it. But I would just shy away from care if somebody asks you saying well it just it's it, it, it the gun's safer if it has a safety that would not be my reason for it um because i think ultimately the safety's got to come off at some point and ultimately the you are going to make that gun safe or not it's it's not the safety um so but i totally agree with you mm-hmm. yeah Yes, sir. Uh, you know, um, my apologies uh, to the way I, to anyone if I offended anybody out there. Because at one time, like I said, I I was a bit more judgmental about why would you choose that gun with a manual safety. But uh, I, I've 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 come back from you know I've 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 backed off on that opinion, uh, and and uh, you know opinions change over time. We we learn stuff and. You know, for me, it was actually realizing that a, a good trusted friend and a really good shooter of mine was carrying a gun, a striker fired gun with a safety. And I was like, whoa, really? And, you know, we talked about it and I was like, okay, gotcha. You know, mm-hmm. like he made some really solid reasoning and logic for it. Um, and it's very clear that it doesn't hinder him. Uh, but that's the key. He puts in the time and the work and makes sure that it it's not a hindrance, that it's not a potential failure point. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'll be honest, the, the one thing he said that like instantly changed it for me was that whole argument I made a little while ago about ARs, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like, do you use your safety on your AR? Yeah. <laughs> do you have any problems with that? Nope. What's the problem then? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay, you got me. <laughs> right. It's sort of like the whole, you know, uh, using the uh, slide stop to send the slide forward instead of reaching yep. over, you know, like. There, there's some dogmatic things yep. that we can get, get into our minds and stuff. And, yep. you know, what works works. And sometimes it's not what we think, but it what actually works in practice. Yep. 
That, that that is that's another great example. You're you're exactly right. My opinion on has changed on that as well. Yeah. Absolutely. In Me fact, too. I use my slide stop slash release. <laughs> There's a time that I wanted to gag when I heard somebody say slide release, but uh, uh, I, I use that probably more now than than I do not mm-hmm. use it. Um, and something that's been a I want I've want I wanted to test that concept. By the way, I wanted to test and be like. Can I get to a level of proficiency where this happens automatically? And I don't think about it. There, be, to be honest, to be sure, there are times where I simply manipulate the slide to send it forward. But basically, what's happening is I think I select the method automatically without really thinking about it. That for whatever reason, that moment feels like that's what's going to work the best. Hmm. Um, because I've evaluated that and I've I've come to the conclusion that. There's there's times that I do this and there's times I do that and uh, you know whether it's racking the slide or hitting the slide stop and it it's not hindering me and I'm not having problems with it it's well practiced it's it's ingrained in the subconscious because I've spent a lot of time practicing it right so I agree that that is another good good uh, uh, example in comparison to another passionate thing <laughs> that is often talked about. And sometimes people can be rather judgmental about. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, it comes back to, we could do the same episode every show, Matthew. Train, train, train. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's true. It's true. You know, everything's about training and practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately, I don't care how you run your gun, as long as you run it well. Yeah. Well put. So I think that's a good place to, to wrap this one up. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) so to safety or not to safety that's up to you but whatever you choose make sure you know how to operate it and operate it well again we want to thank our sponsors of today's episode ammosupplywarehouse.com good good guys over there they do a great job they have super awesome pricing and they ship fast i just ordered another thousand rounds from them last week and I ordered it on Monday, and it was on my doorstep by Wednesday night. Nice. That, and I can't promise that for everybody because obviously that could be somewhat dependent on your region of your of the country where you are. But what I know that means is that they work hard to get stuff out the door when those orders come in, and that is awesome. So give Ammo Supply Warehouse your business, AmmoSupplyWarehouse.com. And again, the fighting from cover video training course that we, we produced here at concealedcarry.com. You can pick up a copy of that virtual or DVD at concealedcarry.com forward slash FFC. Thanks to everybody here on uh, Facebook and YouTube participating live with us and for your comments and questions and support. We appreciate you all and those of you not with us live today we appreciate you as well thank you for listening and for supporting our endeavors here at the concealed carry podcast so with that we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up so take care everybody be safe out there and a reminder to train often train right and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care a reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.